Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Uh-huh. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station. And or FM uh, translator, good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. We are broadcasting live, uh, as I said, uh, uh, across the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com where you'll find the live stream and links to the uh, podcast and <clears throat> the links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every day and all the other stuff and, of course, across all your favorite stations and translators uh, across the uh, across the, the the state of uh, Alaska. Hello, good morning, welcome to the program, uh, hour one of the big radio show today. It is Tuesday, and you know what that means. Tuesday means the beatings will commence immediately. Uh, we're going to talk with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets um, here in just a few minutes. We're going to do the weekly top three. And uh, this week's topics include the Alaska version of Waiting for Godot. Don't worry, I had to look it up as well. I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, but it makes kind of sense. Uh, then uh, the new tax situation and opinion uh, about uh, investments and other things that are going on. Larry Persilli, that guy, man, he can write some opinion pieces. They just like, I think he just spends his time doing just that. And then how a spending cap alone um, is uh, is problematic for the permanent fund dividend. I don't know why Brad says that, but we'll see what he has to say here uh, in just uh, in just a few moments as we pick things up with him uh, in hour one. Then in hour two, we will kind of recap. We'll have maybe some of your thoughts uh, on things, or maybe I'll just take a few minutes to. Uh, give my my re, my regroup thoughts on what Brad just gave us, and then uh, we'll talk with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who's going to come in for a bit of our positivity update. He is our betterment expert, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna give us a bit of bit of life coaching. Something along that line. So should be, should be fun. Should be good. Should be, should be uh, all inclusive and ready to go. So we're going to talk about all that, um, and uh, maybe we'll finish it up with your phone calls or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, um, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. We're going to wang it at the end of the show. Is what I'm saying. We're going to wang it. You know what happens there? Things get hot and heavy and crazy. So. <clears throat> that's the uh, that's the that's the morning for us, the morning in a nutshell. So thank you for coming in and joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Here we are, eight days away from the end of the session, and uh, no end 
in sight. In fact, <clears throat> the headline from the uh, ADN reads, it's all in flux. Alaska budget disputes unresolved on the dividend and education funding. Um, yeah, it uh, it's it's. Well, it's not it's not untrue. It is all in flux. The House and the Senate continue to uh, continue to spar over what they want to see in the final budget bill. What's interesting here is instead of passing bills and going at it through a conference committee, it's almost like they're just trying to do everything kind of behind the scenes, behind closed doors. It's a negotiation right now between the um, between the House and the Senate. And this article actually even mentions that, that uh, typically the House and the Senate pass different versions of the budget and then resolve those differences through negotiations in what's known as a conference committee. So a single bill can pull can uh, then be passed through both legislative chambers and onto the government's desk. Uh, the House could simply approve the Senate's budget, which is known as concurrence, although the last concurrent vote happened with the Senate's budget in 1982. So <clears throat> that's not uh, that that's not going to happen, uh, more than likely not going to happen. So Gary Stevens and Kathy Tilton are trying to craft a compromise budget agreement behind the scenes without the Senate actually passing a budget, which... Again, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I'm not sure how that um, I'm not sure how that's going to go or why specifically, other than Bert Stedman definitely wants to have the uh, he definitely wants to have control of that Senate budget until the last minute for flexibility, which uh, I, you know basically means the bag of tricks may come out at the last minute to try and get something going on. I don't understand the uh, I don't understand the appeal of doing this between the leaderships of the House without a conference committee. Um, maybe there's some kind of political reason for this that I'm not seeing, <clears throat> which I mean, very possible, very possible that I don't see exactly what's going on here. But uh, I find it interesting that instead of both of them passing a budget and then creating a conference committee to go over it with a group of people, it's essentially leadership hashing it out. Um, uh, Stevens and Tilton both say that legislative leaders are busy trying to craft a compromise budget agreement and adjourn by the 121-day constitutional deadline, which falls on May the 17th. Uh, Stephen said in a brief interview yesterday that it's all in flux right now. We're still talking, so that's good. Um, I I I don't know. Um, Sicker Republican Bert Stedman, who manages the operating budget in the Senate, has been firm on saying that the Senate would not stop not support drawing from the constitutional budget reserve to balance the budget. In a brief interview Monday, Stedman said both legislative chambers were working together to find a compromise. He said, you've got softening financial markets and softening oil markets. You need to be careful. There's a limit of reserve capacity. That's a concern. Talking about drawing from the constitutional budget reserve. But again, most of the time they didn't have a problem 
drawing from this over the last 10, just like all of a sudden now everybody's found religion. So <clears throat> we'll have to see what happens. Of course, Calvin Schrege, the House Minority Leader, who gets quoted in every freaking article by the ADN. I mean, I guess he is the House Minority Leader, but it's like every time I turn around. Uh, says that he likes the Senate's budget because it doesn't require a draw from savings, funds core services, and includes $15 million for child care provider wages, which are, again, all – there's a lot of reasons in there not to necessarily like this. But he understands that there's just not enough votes to get this uh, – you know, get the House majority to support it. And in fact, you could see that there's a lot of finger pointing uh, starting to go on. In fact, uh, one of the things that I know Brad's going to want to talk about is this opinion piece from Cliff Grow, uh, who was here to grow the PFD. Remember that? Grow the PFD. Uh, Cliff Grow's got an opinion piece, and the whole opinion piece just kind of sets the tone for everything that's about to occur. The first sentence in his opinion piece reads, and I quote, the House majority is the biggest roadblock to a long-term fiscal stability for Alaska. <laughs> the finger pointing right now. What did I tell you the other day? Or was it yesterday? I, all the days are blending together at this point. It must have been yesterday when I said, I, you know, here's what's going to happen, that they're going to wind the clock down to the last few days. And then they're going to point at the House majority and say, you guys are the reason why this is all broken. I mean, regardless of the fact that the House majority already put in a uh, already put their own version of the budget in and have done everything else, it's going to be their fault that we don't have some kind of fiscal plan or that we have to have a government shutdown or whatever the the problem is going to be. You could already see the finger pointing is underway. Uh, the House majority is the biggest roadblock to long-term fiscal stability for Alaska. So, um, and I'm like I said, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Brad is going to uh, go through that piece uh, pretty exhaustively. But I mean, I remember when Cliff said he was going to be the one that was going to grow the Constitution. And uh, Cliff goes through here and continues to talk about how, the, I mean, if you want a prime example of when we tell you that there is no fiscal, there's no political will to cut the size and scope of government, just read this piece. It is a masterclass on all the things that people are saying and have said, especially those that don't want to cut the size and scope of government. This is a prime example of every talking point that they're going to hit on why you just can't possibly stop uh, the size and growth of government and why we, in fact, are just, we're, we're cutting. I mean, we've cut too much already. This is, I mean, literally, largest budget in state history yesterday, uh, last year, but we've already cut more and we just need to put more back in. It, it, you, you cannot make this stuff up. You just can't do it. Um, this, yeah, uh, the the spending limit formula that the House majority wants to put into law. This is from the article. The spending limit formula the House majority wants to put into law would decree a budget one hundred million dollars lower than the same budget that the House just passed, 
Every Alaskan needs to ask what additional services did the House majority want to cut that its members are afraid to say out loud. I'll say it out loud. How about you consolidate the school districts? How about you do nothing but just consolidate the health care from the school districts? That would be a chunk of that $100 million. I mean, I could go on and on for days, Cliff. I'm not afraid to say the things that need to be cut. They may not be popular, but they could be cut and we could still have the same. I mean, like the health care thing, for, for the love of Pete, the health care thing would would be a good start. They would actually, in many cases, get better health care and it would save money. But it would take money out of the hands of the unions and nobody wants that, right? That's what we're told anyway. All right. <clears throat> we're going to continue. We got more coming up. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, who I just realized I didn't send the thing to. So I'm going to do that right now. We'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We continue with the weekly top three right after these messages. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukesshow.com okay all right i forgot to uh uh, I forgot to uh, send Brad the link for this morning's show, which I just did. So I feel bad about that. But feels bad, man. Uh, I just wish we could send more and more money to the failing K-12 through ed system. <laughs> Lol. That's David's sarcasm font apparently not coming across this morning. Um, I think legislators deserve a raise, says Bill. Uh Oh, man. Um, that moment you realize you didn't hit the... Oh, that's ugly. Um, all right. The moment you realize you didn't hit the button on the coffee pot. That's so That's so sad. That's so sad. Um, <clears throat> okay. Why no talk about the 15 cents gas tax? Um... I don't know, Frank. I hadn't heard about the 15-cent gas tax, I guess. Let's see. The issue isn't the budget. The issue is the power, says Brian. Many conservatives believe the Republicans are working for them behind the doors negotiations help keep this myth alive. Um... This the mem this session is Memorex. Man, you are dating yourself when you say Memorex. Most people don't even remember. Remember the old commercials where the guy was sitting in the chair and everything was being blown away around him sitting in front of the stereo? Um, and it was, is it live or is it Memorex? You are definitely dating yourself, Rick. Most of these young pups don't even know what Memorex is. Uh, all right. 
Um, I did get the email with the prepper song. Thank you, Frank. Um, all right. I see Brad is now because I actually sent him what I was supposed to send him is in the chat room. You know, it's Monday. Whoa, that's a, that's some that's some water pour in there. <laughs> now we all gotta go. Now we all gotta go pee. That was the whole, that was the whole, that was coffee, Michael. All right, whatever it was, I couldn't see it. It was liquid. Um, and uh, you're you are loud and proud this morning. So let me adjust your volume a little bit here. Um, all right. So how uh, how are you this morning, my friend? What's happening? I'm doing great. I'm awake. Um, I've caught up with all the morning news after after you you, were, you kindly pointed out the article I should be reading. So yeah, I'm 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 ready to go. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting article um, uh, that came out early this morning. Uh, I I I don't know. I'm just reading some of this stuff and wondering what exactly is the political reasoning behind not passing the budget and moving it on to conference committee? Where is the, who's benefiting from that? Who's benefiting from the behind the scenes, holding all the budget bills in Senate finance until the last second? Why wouldn't they just do a conference committee? It's not like the Senate's going to lose any power because there's going to be no minority members on it. It's going to be all majority members at that point. So I'm just trying to figure out what's happening there you know um do you see you see something glaringly that i'm missing right off the top of my head oh not especially i mean it looks like it looks like he bert's trying to deal direct with bryce um and sort of bypass um some others that he might have to deal with but you know it's it's the the last uh the last rumor i heard and no doubt it's outdated no doubt it wasn't true at the time i heard it anyway but uh, the last rumor I heard was that they were trying to do this through a concurrence, that the Senate was trying to pass a bill, pass a budget that would go to the House and be concurred with on the floor. Um, that assumes all the minority members uh, vote in favor of whatever the Senate sends over. And you get four, I guess four from the majority that would vote with the minority members and that Bert was trying to work that out. Have it, last time they concurred was 1982. That's a heavy heavy lift brad i don't know if that's even possible at this point all right well we're going to continue here with brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets the weekly top three kicks off here in just a second please like and share the show like and follow the show page do all the youtubey things and all that stuff here we go jumping back into it let's do it All right, we're kicking things off here. Every week we go over three big items that uh, we should be paying attention to in the state budget uh, or in the cycle, in the legislative cycle, or outside of the legislative cycle. And we do it with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We like to call it the Weekly Top Three. We should get like a theme song or something for it. It's all good stuff. Brad Keithley joins us this morning to talk about the Weekly Top Three. Uh, I have to say, you hurt my brain a little bit, Brad, when you sent me the three <laughs> weekly top three. Uh, the first of the weekly top three is the uh, we're basically we're living in the Alaskan uh, uh, edition of waiting for Godot, and I'm like, 
okay, I feel dumb. What's waiting for Godot? And I spent 10 minutes down a rabbit hole in Wikipedia trying to figure out what that was about. Um, but uh, give us, uh, you know, tell us what you mean by that. Waiting for Godot is a famous play um, uh, where two guys stand on stage and wait for somebody for both acts and nothing ever happens. But it's an interesting, uh, interesting topic. So, Brad, give us your thoughts on this. Well, it's a Samuel Beckett play. It's a it's it's a it's a widely produced, widely done play because it's fairly easy. There's like five characters in it, um, and the staging isn't isn't much. It's like a tree and a bench, um, and these two characters sit on the stage uh, in both acts. You're right, uh, waiting for Godot, and various people sort of traipse by, and they talk about various things, and various people traipse by that uh, that they engage. Um, and they just sit there for, <laughs> sit there and sit there and sit there. The first act, uh, the tree, uh, the tree, which is one of two props on the stage is bare. Uh, in the second act, the tree has, has leaves. It looks like it's bloomed and they're still waiting. Um, and the play ends with them still waiting, still waiting for Gitto. It's a, sometimes it's a boring place, depend upon, depends on how it's produced, but sometimes it's a boring play. And sometimes you really sort of try to, delve in behind the various statements of the characters and try to figure out what the heck's going on, what Beckett had in his mind. And that, and that came to mind, <laughs> maybe for obvious reasons, it came to mind as, uh, as I was thinking about uh, the budget, talking about the budget and the fiscal plan uh, this week. You're right. I, Cliff Groves editorial is sort of the sort of top of mind when it, when it comes to this cliff goes off on a, however many words, 650 word rant about is the, it's the house majority's fault. It's uh, yeah, he starts uh, right out with it. Doesn't he? It's the house majority's fault that we haven't done anything. And I'm like, what? Wait, weren't you the guy that was supposed to grow the PFD? I haven't seen any big shakes out of you this year, buddy. Well, he's got, he's got a bill in. What is it to increase the oil, the oil property tax, which wouldn't raise much. Um, but it's, but, you know, close got a bill in, he'll claim he has a bill in, but it's, it's, I mean, you, you, you go through the full rant and it, it's nothing. I mean, it's just, it's a rant about how everybody else hasn't done anything and how nothing's moving forward. But you read each of these, you read Larry Persley's column, uh, uh, latest op-ed, you read, you know, the, the stuff that's coming out of, uh, the, the Alaska Beacon. You read the stuff that's coming out of the ADN, the article you read this morning. It's it's sort of like waiting for Godot, right? I mean, we ha you have these various characters coming through uh, the stage and you know giving saying various lines. We're sitting there waiting for the the fiscal plan or even the budget, even the FY twenty four budget uh, to come through, and it just doesn't come through. I mean, it just it, we just keep sitting there and waiting for it. Ultimately, we we will have a budget. Uh, ultimately the state will not, uh, uh, go FY, FY 24 without a budget. So ultimately we will have, have a budget. Godot, all, that Godot, sort of mini Godot will ultimately show up, but I'm not sure about the overall fiscal plan. I'm not sure that, that we ever have an overall fiscal plan, uh, show up. We just may stumble from year to year to year to year, um, and never get, and never get it done. We may go through various characters. We may go through various acts. We may go through various scenes. We may have various people, you know, come across the stage and say various lines, but we may ultimately Godot may never come. Well, and, this is uh, this is it, something it, that Ben Carpenter said early on that it's going to take. I mean, it, that it, it may not get done this session. That it was going to be a heavy lift to try and get it all done. 
they're going through every bill this week to put them out on the House floor out of House uh, Ways and Means. Do you think that there's a chance of getting anything here in the last eight days to at least pass into the next part of the session? Or Oh, no. Oh, no. No, there, there's I, out of ways and means, maybe, although I, I'll, although I'll be honest, I don't understand the sales tax. I mean, the sales tax is heard a long time ago. What If we're going to do this piecemeal and they did the, the I, I don't think they should have, but they did the, the spending cap piecemeal. We'll talk about that in the third segment. Uh, if they're going to do this piecemeal, why not do, you know, other pieces of it piecemeal, let it collect someplace, let it collect someplace else. Um I, 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 maybe ways and means get something out. Uh, I have, I've despaired even of that. Um, but I, I, this entire, this entire legislature, um, is just, you know, they're waiting for, you know, they're waiting for somebody else. Cliff's waiting for, you know, the house majority to do it or somebody else to do it. Everybody's waiting for somebody else to do it. Uh, Bert, says he'll do it <laughs> i mean i i guess i guess we do uh, have people who who will, yeah. who will put a pl- plan on the floor but but uh it's just i as you as you sit there listening to the beckett players you sit there witnessing the beckett play you just sort of despair after a while and you just wonder why um and and that's why? exactly what's, what's Wait going a second. on with the fiscal you, plan you wonder why they're waiting or you wonder why you bought tickets to this again because you knew exactly what's going to happen i mean sometimes you wonder yeah, why may, maybe maybe the first time i wondered why they were waiting maybe the fifth time i saw the play produced uh maybe i wondered why i was buying tickets but it's it's it, it is a play that that talks about you know the inability or the or the, the despair that results from not being able to achieve something in part it talks about that and and that's that's really what's what's going on here, uh, you know. Let's let's go to the FY twenty four budget. There will be a budget. I mean, we will we will we will be financed. And and the way it's going, it looks like it's going to be a compromise. I, I know what Kevin McCabe has said that fifty fifty is already a compromise. I absolutely agree with that, but it looks like it will have to be some sort of compromise between twenty five seventy five. Uh, and uh, and POMV 5050, the bar got lowered down from the statutory formula down to POMV 5050, and now, you know, Bert's taking advantage of that and uh, and is and is pushing POMV 2575 with with equal vigor and and you know you've got to have a budget. So so where do you end up um, if the house if the house uh, capitulated uh, in terms of in terms of the Senate pushing through a budget that was 2575 and somehow Bryce got uh, the four votes we got got a unified minority. I don't think he gets a unified minority, but for for twenty five seventy five, but somehow gets a, a unified minority and gets four votes from the majority to to form the form a concurrence vote. Um, then the then the attention shifts to the governor. Does the governor do something about that? Does the governor say, "Oh no, we're going to go back to the drawing board," or or I'm not going to accept twenty five seventy five. We're going to you know try again uh, uh, in this process. Um, but ultimately we will have a budget and ultimately it looks like it'll be a compromise, uh, between those, between those two boundaries, but that's not a fiscal plan. That's just another punt, uh, to get us through another fiscal year. And then we, then we start talking about it and we start talking about it again. And maybe we have a special session, um, another, another act in waiting for Godot in Alaska's version of waiting for Godot. Uh, and, and maybe something comes out of that, but there's, there's, 
everybody has gone to their trenches, right? I mean, everybody's just, you know, Bert sitting in 25, in his 2575 trench. Um, you know, some are sitting in the statutory PFD trench. Some are sitting in POMB 5050 uh, in the POMB 5050 trench. Everybody's gone to their trenches and, and there's no breakthrough uh, 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 thinking. I mean, the Senate the Senate bill comes up with triggers, right? That that it's POMV twenty five seventy five, um, it, and you can get to POMV fifty fifty if you use triggers. Okay, well, there's other ways to use triggers. Uh, let's say, you know, looking backwards, let's say we should have said we're going to cut spending unless you raise revenues uh, uh, equitably across the board from all Alaskans, and then the pressure would have been on. Uh, uh, do you want do you want to have a tax or do you want to increase increase spending? Um, you can use triggers in a number of ways, and maybe there's a creative way to use triggers. Uh, now that the Senate has introduced triggers, uh, the twenty five seventy five to POMB fifty fifty trigger, maybe there's a creative way to use triggers uh, to sort of to sort of work our way out of this. That is, if you don't if we don't increase revenues. Um, uh, to offset PFD cuts, if we don't increase revenues, then spending gets cut or spending gets capped or spending gets something happens to spending. Maybe that's another way to, to think about this. But we've, we've sort of locked in, I mean, like Godot, we like the play. We've sort of just locked in on this, on this continual repetitious um, uh, cycle of we're going to have a fiscal plan. My gosh, here, you know, we need to have a fiscal plan or, you know, Cliff's, uh, uh, what's the title of? Cliffs of peace. Uh, Enough talk of a fiscal plan. Alaska needs action. I mean, okay, yeah, everybody can rant about it, but but nobody is coming up with a solution that 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 gets a, a broad based uh, broad based appeal. Enough of an appeal to get through the two legislative bodies. Well, and again, this is really nothing new. This is the SSDD, right? Same stuff, different day that we've seen each and every year uh, from uh, from the uh, from the legislature. Um, and you say we're going to have a budget, but it's going to be interesting to see how strong the min the uh, majority in the House stands on this. Do they push it to the very end? Do you think? Does it does it end up in a? Do we end up in a, a in a uh, potential, you know, shutdown or whatever else that is going on? I mean, the House has put their budget out. The Senate has refused to do so. I'm wondering how the House minority and the Senate majority are going to spin this together to say it's their fault, because that's what always happens, right? Um, you know, it's their fault that they're going to, uh, to to not have a budget and the shutdown would be their fault, even though they've already put out the budget, you know, a couple, several weeks ago, and they're just waiting for the Senate to do it. I mean, and 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 does something come out in the last minute here from House, uh, from uh, Ways and Means that is another part, or should they have done? Should they have done this as an omnibus? I guess is my question, because we've seen all these little parts and pieces that have come through Ways and Means. Were you saying that basically they should have done it as an omnibus to make uh, to you know to to avoid the piecemeal effect of it? Oh yeah, yeah, they should. I mean, I, I'll talk more about this in the third segment about the about the why the spending cap is a trap for the PFD. We've talked about it before on the show, but I'm going to go back to that. Um, and that should have been a part of the solution. It should have been part of an omnibus. If they were going to push it forward uh, as an omnibus, then it should have been, it, and, and they should. I mean, that's what the fiscal policy working group said. It needed to be all done, done at once. It should have been pushed forward as an omnibus, and, and you know, all the pieces should have been there. I don't, I don't 
I don't get why, uh, you know, uh, part of waiting for Godot is we're still waiting for the governor's sales tax. I don't get why the revenue piece of this has stalled. Uh, the governor hasn't, the governor said two weeks ago, he was going to come out with the sales tax. It'd be finished on the, on the Friday, Thursday or Friday of that week. You know, it doesn't take that much to write a bill in all honesty. Um, and, and that should have been done, uh, uh, before the governor even started talking about it, but he said it was going to be finished on Thursday and Friday. Well, that's now 10 days ago. Um, and, and Ben had the, Ben has a bill in front of ways and means on sales taxes. And that has been heard, but it's still pending, still pending action. Um, and so I don't understand why that, that, that piece of it is still, uh, is still spending. It's a, I mean, the fiscal policy working group said there had to be substitute revenues for PF. If we were going to, if we were going to restore the PFD, if we were not going to have deep PFD cuts, then we needed substitute revenues uh, to pay for government. It was realistic about that. And I don't know, I don't understand why that piece has stalled. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts in here. Uh, just like there's a lot of moving parts in the play. Uh, a lot of characters that come across the stage. But but none of it settles down to uh, none of it settles down to a solution. Is is are we going to have a shutdown? Maybe, May, maybe as part of the negotiating tactic, we'll get we'll get close to that. I mean, the house seems the house majority seems fairly well resolved to to hang on. But you know, we got close to a shutdown before, and it didn't happen. Somebody gave, and some side gave, and and we finally got and we got a budget and went forward with a. With the with the year, I'm I'm confident that that we will have a budget for FY24. We won't start FY24 without a budget. So something's got to give. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to. Uh, I'm not sure where the give's going to be, uh, other than the PFD, which is where you know the the contention point is. So, uh, Brad, give us. Uh... <laughs> I don't want to wait for Godot for the rest of the show today. So give me the uh, give me the tease for number two uh, of the weekly top three before we go to break. So Russell Long, who is a longtime senator from Louisiana and chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, U.S. Senate Finance Committee at a point uh, at, at some point during uh, during his tenure as Senate finance chair, someone asked him to sum up uh, tax policy uh, in the U.S. And Long had this great quote. Uh, basically, the quote is, don't tax me, don't tax you, tax that guy behind the tree. Right. And and we're seeing we're seeing all these editorials now pop up or articles or or pieces pop up now or an ad in one case pop up uh, uh, with various people saying, don't tax me, <laughs> don't tax, don't right. tax my my friends, tax the guy behind the tree. And the guy behind the tree is always middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts. So right. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about who, how that's developing in this. Who day. happen to have the quietest voices, who happen to have the littlest influence or the littlest input on most of these things. That's the thing. Don't tax you. Don't tax me. Tax the man behind the tree. That's what it's all about. Back with more. Uh, we're going to continue. Brad Keithley, our guest. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. It's the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
So Donna Ardwin in the chat room points out one uh, one omnibus bill is not legally feasible because we have a single subject requirement in the state. Um, pass pass them all at the same time. Yeah, that's 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 not a. I well, mean, I mean, that's not, and I, and that, I, that's not a, a a limitation. I'm wondering if uh, if you could legally argue that uh, fiscal policy is a single subject with with many components, but. Um, I mean, this is this is a tough deal. And, you know, look, uh, uh, Brad, uh, excuse me, uh, Ben Carpenter said early on, he said this is not going to be a, a, the, pro- the effort of one single year. But we definitely need to get some things through first. And the first thing we should have gotten through was the PFD and then the then the spending cap. Uh, <laughs> those have been the two. See, that, that, that's that, the prop. That, that's that, go ahead. That That's what the fiscal policy working group felt. I think recognized and maybe the lesson we've lost again is that everybody wants their thing first. Uh, you, you know, you pass the PFD, protect the PFD. Then we'll talk about, then we'll talk about other things. Well, once you protect the F, the PFD, then, then the, the people who want, you know, continued spending and there are people who want continued spending. Let's be, let's be, let's face up to the reality of the world. Uh, they're they're going to feel like you know they're 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 they've been put under the rock. So you go through these things, you know. Let's pass a let's pass a tax first, let, and, and then your point is well, you know, heck, that just fuels increased spending. So that doesn't do any good. Uh, let's pass uh, let's pass spending cuts first. Well, the people who the, the piece that that we're going to do through spending cuts. Well, the people who are affected by that are are upset by that. I mean, it's just. Everybody, everybody has their favorite. Yes, you're right. I mean, I have the PFD. We share, you know, the fact that we want the PFD first. It's got to move. It's got to move all together or it's or it's not going to move. There are enough constituent groups. There are enough. This thing's fractionated enough that I think the fiscal policy working group recognized it all has to go at the same time. And, And it's sort of like, you know, Either you do that or nothing shows. Either either you do that or you just don't have a you don't have a plan. You know, you're trying to you're, you're having somebody who's trying to you know uh, 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 bench press or you know submit uh, uh, another guy. I mean that's what Bert's doing with twenty five seventy five, right? Bert's trying to you know force it down. Oh yeah, force it down everybody's throat. Well, he's he's very uh, he's very good at the coercion. He's been coercive for the last four or five years, uh, as, uh, you know, in the, in a Senate finance like that, doing the things, whether it was changing the funding source of the, of the deal or making sure that you voted for his plan or you lost road project monies or whatever else, he's very good at the political strong arm tactics. And that's, you know, that's, that's the problem. Um, and, and I agree. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, again, I'm not in the legislature, so but I, I, to me, the fiscal policy would be a good single source. I mean that that would be a one one rule. I mean that'd be the one one single requirement rule. It's got pieces and parts. We've done the same thing. If you're changing a bill on crime, it's got lots of moving parts inside of it, and it's still a single bill, changing multiple parts of the law to make it work. So I don't know why, arguably, you couldn't do that as this is a full fiscal policy bill and we're changing all these pieces and parts because it's, it's a fiscal plan. Or you can, or you can put in a condition. I mean, we, we, we've, we've now learned we can put in conditions in legislation, right? Legislation X won't take effect unless legislation Y takes effect. So you can just put in, you cross conditions across all of the various pieces of it. That's not, that to me is not, is not, you know, that's a technicality. That's not a, that's not a reason to, 
you know, to not try to advance them all at once. I, it's, it, it strikes me that, you know, this is, I mean, waiting for Godot is you, you just keep going in circles. You just keep waiting for Godot. So the same characters come back over and over and over. The seasons change. The leaves are on the trees in the second act. But it just keeps going in circles. And this is, to some degree, this is sort of the circle we're in. I mean, the Fiscal Policy Working Group was a great capture of, of what it takes to bring everybody together. Those people in, in that process, I think, tried to really come together uh, on a on a solution and articulated what it took to 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 take a solution that we didn't do that nobody introduced legislation to do that and so now we're on the circle again and maybe we're out at the other end of it where you know everybody says well let me let me pass this piece and then the other piece will catch up and all that sort of stuff i i i, I think we're you know we're going to circle back and we're going to say wait wait we got to do all this stuff at, at once um but nobody but <coughs> But you know, everybody wants to rant about it. I want to rant about it. You rant about it. Cliff rants. Cliff Grove rants about it. Everybody wants to rant about it, but nobody really is 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 bringing this stuff together in a way that that comes up with a with an ultimate solution. And so we just sit here and wait, waiting, waiting for the <clears throat> waiting for the leaves to pop out on the trees and to sit here some more. That's uh, that's what it's all about. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to continue with the weekly top three, and we will kick things off here uh, in just a second. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page if you haven't. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, why not? It doesn't cost you anything. I mean, geez, it's pretty easy. 3,000 people on Facebook like the show, only 400 on YouTube. I just need a few more. Let's get it going on. Here we go. Okay, we're uh, back uh, here, uh, the Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley is our guest, and we're talking about the weekly top three. We're up to number two. Don't tax you, don't tax me, tax the man behind the tree. Uh, Brad says we've been playing that game for a while, speaking of waiting for Godot. Uh, Brad, <laughs> uh, this is the 2023 edition of that little uh, meme. So what, what, uh, what say you? Oh, I, Michael, as I as I have been reading through, just following along what's going on, it started to started to strike me that you know the the old Russell uh, uh, Long adage about "Don't tax me, don't tax you, tax the guy behind the tree" uh, started popping back up. Uh, there was a an op ed in the Peninsula Clarion that says uh, it's in the Alaska Voices. Uh, Senate tax bills threaten critically needed community investment, and they're talking about the Hillcorp loophole of all things. God, it's a, it's opposing the the Hillcorp loopholes by Rob Erbach, who who is the head of the uh, Iditarod. Uh, Hillcorp uh, uh, funded a bunch of the Iditarod uh, this past year, and so Erbach's talking about, oh, it's, it'd be horrible to tax Hillcorp. You know, they might they might not support uh, Alaska. Uh, activities if uh, if you if you close that loophole and, and took away their you know hundred million dollars uh, in uh, tax benefits that they're getting from uh, from the state and then there was a an opinion piece uh, from our favorites uh, 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 Jim Jansen uh, and friends 
that says Alaska has a bright future if we keep oil taxes competitive, opposing the the change to the uh, to the to the uh, 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 adjuster that's in the the per barrel credit that's in the current tax code, and then sort of the the topper for me was his Facebook ads by Alaskans for Americans for Prosperity Alaska. Um, let your elected officials know, no to a statewide sales tax, no to a statewide income tax, yes to a spending cap. <coughs> yes to the thing that that benefits them. I'll explain it in the third segment, but yes to the thing that benefits them. Uh, uh, no to everything, no to everything else. And it's just, in all of these, all of these result in one thing, the, 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 the Hillcorp, op-ed, uh, the, 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 the argument against uh, uh, changing the per rail credits, the no to the statewide sales tax, no to the statewide income tax, um, they all result in one thing, one thing. The PFD takes it on the chin, right? right? Don't tax me, don't tax, you know, businesses, don't tax the oil companies, don't tax, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the people who depend on the oil companies, the businesses, the oil companies support. Uh, don't tax uh, 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 high high income Alaskans. Don't have a statewide sales tax. Uh, don't tax me. Don't tax you. Don't tax my friends in the oil industry. Tax the guy behind the tree. And who's the guy behind the tree? Is is the is middle and lower income Alaska families are middle and lower income Alaska families by taxing them through PFD cuts. Why? What? What? Uh, Icers Matt Berman has said one more time has said uh, the most regressive tax ever. Uh, uh, use that uh, instead. They don't say use that instead, but they're trying to foreclose all of the other options and say, you know, this is this is where we need to this is where we need to land. So we we've got we got waiting for Godot, you know, and while we're waiting for Godot, well, well, various characters are walking through various proposals on how to various individual proposals are talk, are walking through uh, the stage. We've got uh, Russell Long showing up and and you know Senate. The old U.S. Senate Finance Committee people saying, "Don't tax me, don't tax, don't tax you, don't tax me, tax that guy behind the tree." And, right. Uh, well, and and we're again, just full of it. We're just full of it right now. Every editorial, every op-ed. I mean, Cliff's got it. Cliff's op-ed has has a version of that. Every 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 person out there is has got a plan that doesn't tax them. Taxes everybody else. Right. Takes money from everybody else, but doesn't tax them. Well, and that's exactly it. I mean, Brad's just talking about, I mean, oil taxes that the people are standing against that Brad says that, that we have needed, you know. And, and as I said in the last segment, the ones that have the, the quietest voice, the least amount of influence are those lower, you know, those middle to lower income folks because they don't. They don't, especially the middle income folks, they don't have any skin in the game. They're not receiving state services on one hand, and they're not receiving state contracts on the other hand. So they're the ones that are getting, uh, they're the ones that are getting squeezed in the middle. And that's where it all comes from. Um, I mean, we need a full fiscal plan and the fiscal plan includes oil taxes and changes. I mean, uh, you, 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 I'm sure have been lambasted uh, by many in the oil industry for supporting the Hill Corps uh, uh, you know, change and talking about the per barrel credit change and supporting those kind of things. I'm sure you've taken it on the chin on those guys as well. But I mean, that's the thing. I think when you're doing the right thing, everyone hates you, Brad. That's kind of what, that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to in the last few you know, years. You know, the funny thing about my friends in the industry, yes, they do. They do take issue with me on the, on the per barrel credits. They, they will try to defend the per barrel credits. I've not had anybody from the oil industry try to defend the Hillcorp loophole. 
the, the closest I've had is somebody said, well, you know, that was the tax code at the time Hillcorp made the acquisition. And so Hillcorp ought to be re able to rely on the tax on the tax code that was in effect at the time of the acquisition. They, you know, they, that was the deal uh, that, that Hillcorp relied on when they came into Alaska. Oh, baloney. I mean, if you're in the oil industry, you know one thing, you know laws change, you know regulations change, you know taxes change, you know, you know change is inevitable. When you do a deal, you do a list, you do two lists, lists of things that are absolutely deal breakers that you've got to have in order to make the deal. And, and a list of things that would be, what would be great. You know, it'd be a windfall if I, if I got these, if I got these additional things and believe me, the preservation of the Hillcorp loophole, the preservation of, of the exemption for S corps on the, in the oil industry from the oil industry, corporate uh, income tax, believe me, that was on Hillcorp's wish list. Oh my Oh my God, we get a hundred million dollars extra because we were able to, you know, convince people to keep this going. I've not had anybody in the oil industry, to be very honest, talk to them all the time. A lot of friends still in the industry. <clears throat> They'll debate me all day long on the on the on the per barrel credits. Uh, that's, that's a debate to have. But nobody, nobody's debated, debated me on the Hillcorp exemption. And yet we still have that damn exemption, that damn loophole. Uh, on the book. So it's, um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, 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 a classic case of don't tax me, don't tax you. You know, th this, this op-ed by the guy from Iditarod is just infuriating uh, because it's, look, Iditarod is getting benefits out of this exemption. Hillcorp likes this. Hillcorp, well, why do you think Hillcorp's spending that money? So you'll write op-eds like that. So you'll write op-eds defending it. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who's really paying for the Iditarod? It's middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts. Why yeah. is that? Because the only reason Hillcorp's paying you is because they get that extra hundred million. Why do they get the extra hundred million? Because we're taking it out of PFDs uh, instead. So instead of writing a thank you to middle and lower income Alaska families who are funding, essentially funding uh, through, you know, the, the, the absence of closing the Hillcorp loophole or funding the Iditarod, Instead of getting a thank you to middle and lower income Alaska families, we get this damn defense letter uh, of the Hillcorp loophole. It's um, well, the subheading of it is uh, Hillcorp Alaska's role as a major sponsor <laughs> of our race is a source of great pride. I'm sure it is a source of great pride to get, you know, a million dollars from Hillcorp or whatever it is that you're getting for the race. I'm sure that is great pride. But again, who's paying for it in the long run? Uh, I, you, you, the, the rate of return on that, you know. Give me a, a million dollars to Iditarod. You get a letter in defense of a hundred million dollars. I mean, that's the, that's a pretty good rate of return on that investment by Hillcorp. Yeah, not a bad, not a bad rate, uh, a return. Uh, less than two minutes, Brad. Do we have time for number three? Can you give me a tease at least? Or can yeah, you... I can give you uh, uh, number three is very simple, uh, and we've talked about this before. the The spending cap contemplates at a lesser rate, but contemplates spending going up. It, to, to a lesser rate, but still contemplate spending going up. Revenues from traditional sources, from oil and, and traditional taxes are going down. That gap, even with the spending cap, that gap has to be filled by something. If we don't have a comprehensive solution that has substitute revenues for PFD cuts, that gap gets filled increasingly by PFD cuts. As, as, as spending continues going up at a lesser rate, but as spending continues going up and revenues continue to decline, that gap gets filled by growing PFD cuts. You need 
a comprehensive solution that addresses the PFD issue. If you don't have it, a spending cap alone just leaves the PFD out there to be picked off uh, on an ongoing basis year after year after year. Yeah. Well, I can see it. Uh, again, that's why I said earlier on, I said if we had to prioritize, I thought the PFD had to go first and then the spending cap, not the other way around. Otherwise, we're going to be in big trouble. But again, how do we get them all together, especially with the one subject rule and all that other kind of stuff? It's, don't 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 let that don't let that trouble you. There are ways to deal with that. <laughs> all right. Well, I'd like to know more about that. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, the weekly top three. Thank you, Brad. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. I mean, that's really the problem. We see these things coming out piecemeal, and all, and this was what I was seeing and I was thinking about as, uh, you know, House Ways and Means has pulled all these different pieces together. Um, I mean, I admired the tenacity of a carpenter and company for doing all this, but I realized that all it would take is for one bill, uh, the group to come, you know, the anti group to come together at one point and kill one component of this to really be able to submarine a big chunk of the whole fiscal plan because that's all they need to do. They could let everything else pass and have that one bill and just riddle it full of holes, and the next thing you know, we're kind of stuck back where we started. Well, and the other the other way to do it, Michael, is is what's happening is what's happened with letting the letting the spending cap out. The other way to kill it, kill a comprehensive solution is to let one piece go first. And the spe- I, I know the chamber's in favor of the spending cap, and I can explain why the top 20% love that. Um, uh, but, you know, let one piece go first and get out there, and then everybody says, well, we've we got a fiscal plan. You know, we, we, we've accomplished this. We've, we've achieved, uh, uh, we've achieved a, a fiscal plan. We've got, you know, Bert will say, I've got 2575, and then you've got a spending cap that caps spending. We're done. You know, yeah, you you guys can continue talking about you know changes to the PFD. You guys can continue to talk about substitute revenues for PFDs, but we're done. You know, we got we got we got the one piece we wanted. The reason the chamber wants a spending cap is because they're concerned the government will continue to grow, and even after you consume all of the PFD, um, which they don't care about, but even after you consume all of the PFD, then there will be a push for taxes, and they want a spending cap to prevent against that situation, against, against spending so and go, going so high that even after you've consumed the entire PFD, that you'll need, that you'll need additional revenues. So the spending cap is, is basically to keep the, the spending levels within the, within the range of consuming the entire PFD, but still, um, uh, and, 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 but not need, not needing additional revenues. That's why, they want a spending cap and letting that go first. Uh, I think it's just a, I, I, I think it's just a mistake because you're going to get out there and if that passed and if the Senate would adopt it, heck they'd love it. That because it's chamber supported that if that gets out there and, and, and passes um, the, the, the don't tax me, don't tax you crowd are, are ecstatic. They've got, they've got protection against the downside of, of needing additional revenues beyond the PFD, and they've got the PFD trapped in there in a way that it's going to be it's it's going to be the filler 
for whatever whatever the shortfall is between the spending cap and and traditional revenues. Horrible, horrible to let that thing out by itself. But nonetheless, that's what we've done. And so there's two ways to kill it. One is to one is to pick off your least favorite uh, uh, part of it and say, yeah, we can pass the rest of this except for that. Or the other way to kill it is to let one piece of it out, one piece that you know the top 20% like uh, out and pass that and then you know just forget about everything else. Just keep everything else bottled up. Well, and again, with your, you know, talking about your incline and your decline thing, the problem is, is that it's going to, by its very nature, grow beyond what the PFD has available. So it's almost inevitable that there's going to be a tax of some kind down the road, right? Well, I mean, it, it, not, not if you, not if you tighten the spending cap in a way so that it never grows out, outgrows the PFD. And I've, I've done like a 10-year projection. I haven't gone out, you know, 25 years, but I've done a 10-year projection. And the way the spending cap is designed, the way tying it to a, a, a gross state product, the way the spending cap is designed, it probably doesn't outstrip the PFD within, within the 10-year period. Now, the PFD can't stay at 2575. You're going to have to, you're have to going to go inside uh, the 25% to, uh, uh, to, to fund it. But that's not a problem because 2575 is only a statute. So you just ignore the statute again. We we did that last week on the show. You know, 2575 becomes 2080, becomes 1585, becomes 1090. And then, you know, <coughs> it's but the but but the chamber won't help you at that point. Nobody cares uh, for middle and lower income Alaska families at that point because they got what they want. They've got a, they've got the upside cap. Uh, of the spending cap. It's just the PFD that gets trapped in there and gets uh, and gets used. So that's why you need a comprehensive solution. That's why you need everything at once. That's why you need the cross ties, everything conditioned on everything else uh, moving forward. And the fact the House has moved forward, the House Ways and Means move forward on the spending cap. And now it looks like House Finance is prepared to move forward on the spending cap. And then that will become the negotiating tool against the against the Senate. Yes, we'll accept twenty five seventy five if you accept the the spending cap. Uh, the Senate's going to go, you know, yeah, what a deal. Uh, it, the fact we're on that track, I think, is just you know, I, I think it's just horrible, and I and I and, and it's problematic that Ways and Means let the spending cap out on its own. Well, I, I'm interested to see, you know, you said, because when I said it, we wanted it should have come out altogether instead of piecemeal, and you said that that is fixable. I would like to know exactly how. Uh, I think it was Tom McKay that said something about Ledge Legal uh, had already, I don't know, ruled on the single subject rule or something like that. But I mean, you cross tie the bills. I mean, if you, if you, you pass this, it, even if you pass this, it doesn't take effect unless you pass that. And, and, you know, and, and there's, there's risk to that. I mean, I guess an amendment on the floor could take out that cross tie, but, but at least have them all up at once, at least give it a fighting, a fighting chance. The fact you've let one out, the fact you've let the, the spending cap out, the, the chamber of commerce preferred spending cap out first um, is, you know, we've, we've already started going down the bad road. You've already, you've already done damage to the concept of everything tied together. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate you being part of it today. Uh, as always, a thought-provoking conversation, and we appreciate you uh, doing it with us. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, that uh, brings us uh, over to Hour 2. Time to get things ready to rock and roll. Let's uh, get going on, shall we? 
The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, hour two of the big radio broadcast this morning. And we are getting ready to go. And uh, we're going to be diving into this here uh, in just a few minutes. Our next guest coming up is going to be Chris Story, the man from Homer, who's going to give us, oh, a little bit of insight into um, some positivity, some betterment for us. That's what it's all, that's what it's going to be about. And uh, we we appreciate uh, him coming. He's going to be joining us here in about, oh, 10, 12 minutes or so. We'll be picking that thing up and uh, we'll be seeing what we had to say. Uh, just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the weekly top three. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some I guess some hard truths in there. I uh, am still hopeful that stuff can come out of the um, Ways and Means Committee and we may get some pieces and parts here. Um, but I am concerned uh, and I have been concerned from the very beginning, as I said, uh, I think I actually said it during the commercial break. So you folks didn't hear it on the radio, but. I am actually concerned about the fact that as we bring these pieces out of the fiscal policy working group plan, the six or seven components of it, which include, you know, a a spending cap, some cuts, uh, an oil tax increase, a sales tax, um, uh, you know, fixing the PFD, a spending cap, all these pieces came out. And as each one comes out, my fear is that the powers that be, the the folks that want to continue with the business as usual, that want to continue with the, uh, um, you know, that want to continue with the, um, you know, spending on government services at the expense uh, or spending on the on the private sector, the public sector at the expense of the private sector, that <clears throat> all they have to do is come together against one key component of this and that could be the pfd or it could be a spending cap or it could be on the cuts or any one of those things and they could put the entire plan in jeopardy and that has been a concern to me from the very beginning now uh donna arduin commented in the chat room early on that because we were talking about why didn't this just all come out at once and Donna Ardwin talked about um, that the omnibus, uh, that you, you couldn't do an omnibus bill 
which is where they put everything together into one bill and and put it through because there's a single subject requirement uh, in the uh, in the state uh, in the state law that basically says you can't have a, 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 a something that is too broad and and everything else. Although that single that single requirement has not stopped things like ranked choice voting and some of the other stuff, right? Because that had something I mean, that had twenty six pages of changes in it for a single for a single subject kind of thing. I would I'm wondering if you could make the argument that a fiscal solution that a state long-term fiscal plan is in and of itself a single subject that has many moving parts. Um, <clears throat> I I think that that could legally be made as an argument. But I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer, nor do I pay, play one on TV. But I think that, you know, if you are looking for a single subject, that would be uh, that would be the subject to place everything under a long-term fiscal plan for the state that has many pieces. We saw the same thing in, you know, SB 91 and other things. It was a crime bill, but it had lots and lots of moving pieces and parts uh, of it. You know, with lots of different changes that were made to laws underlying all that stuff. And since all of this deals with fiscal policy, each one of those changes would still deal with fiscal issues. I wonder if you could make the argument that that would be the single rule. Um, I would like to see that. Uh, the whole problem is, of course, is that <clears throat> there's just not the political will, it seems like, to get these things done. I mean, we've got a whole group of people in the uh, um, a whole group of people in the Senate who basically just want to see the continuation of what's been going on for years which is essentially <clears throat> spend, 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 regardless of where the money is going or what's coming from, we're going to take the PFD and with the appetite for spend that we have now, it's, <clears throat> it's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be a, uh, um, you know, it's not going to be long where we will have all of the PFD taken and then potentially new taxes on top of it. But even if all they did was take the PFD, and as Brad said, he did, you know, he he said he extrapolated it out with a new spending cap that they're talking about right now. Even if they take the PFD and don't institute any new taxes, the impact on the Alaska economy is tremendous. I mean, if you take that billion dollars out of the Alaska economy and continue to do so for years on end, what is the extrapolated effect on the economy over a 10 year period? You know, that's that's a huge problem, a huge problem. Now, <clears throat> uh, Tom McKay and Rob Myers are both commenting uh, in the chat room that because some pieces of the fiscal policy working group's plan are statutory and some are constitutional, you can't batch them together because you can't mix bills and constitutional amendments in the same piece. OK. All right. OK. I, I see that. Can you combine uh, constitutional amendments? Can you combine them into one bill and the statutory framework into another bill? I mean, I'm just looking for anything to, because again, my fear is, is that if you have eight pieces or seven pieces or, you know, whatever the number is, all they have to do is stop one to fudge up the whole thing, right? That's, that's, that's all they have to do. And that's my fear is that there is a group of folks in there uh, 
who like the business as usual. They like the power that they've amassed to themselves. They like the fact that they are protecting the government spend over everything else. And all they have to do is stop one piece to basically railroad this thing into oblivion. Now, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't know if there's enough horsepower behind the people that want a good fiscal, sound fiscal plan for the state long term. I just don't know if there's enough horsepower to get that over the line. I don't. I mean, again, folks, remember. I mean, I hate to remind us of this, but we're in the minority. The conservative, smaller government people in this state are in the minority. And we keep getting reminded about that all the time. I mean, we send back people who say the right things to Juno, who once they get down there, their true colors show out. And they're not really small government people. That they're not really interested in that. They said they were to be able to get your vote, but when it all comes down to it, they're happy to go along to get along. So, I mean, we are we are in the minority here. And unless we can educate our friends, neighbors, relatives, and other folks to send down people there who are true and really do want the same things that we want, we're going to be stuck in this untenable situation of government is just going to continue to grow. Government's going to continue to grow to the point to where we have no voice, no way to fix it, no true uh, ability to stop the madness that's going on, the damage to the private economy. Uh, I mean, look again, look at look at what we talked about. Go back and watch the shows where we've discussed this with Rob Myers. You know, the fact that the government of this state has continued to grow uh, at an 80% greater rate than the private economy is telling. I mean, it, it will eventually reach a tipping point to where the, you know, the velocity of that is just greater than anything that we can do on the private sector. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a problem. And I honestly, I don't have any short-term solutions for this. I mean, again, we you know we talk about the charter of changes. We talk about some of those things. Those are more overall long-term things that can help bring the state back. But as they continue to do their business down there in Juneau, uh, in the quiet little corridors, basically out of sight of the public, uh, with the only people who are visiting them and seeing them and 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 uh, you know cons- counseling them every day are the NGOs and the special interests and the unions and the and uh, and those groups who are down there uh you know not private citizens getting down there to be able to participate in these things <clears throat> they're in an echo chamber hearing exactly what they want to hear which is keep doing it because we all need that sweet sweet lucre that you're passing us i mean this is the whole thing with rob urback this uh this article from rob urback uh from the iditarod how dare you go against Hill Corp and do all this kind of stuff because they're a major sponsor in our race. And that's it. Well, great. So again, what you're saying is not in my backyard. Sure, you can cut. And this is the problem that Dunleavy had in his first 
year when he put that first budget together uh, is that everybody was like, well, yeah, we all need to cut. I mean, we need to cut, but not my piece. Don't don't cut my piece. You know, we saw the Republicans. They didn't they didn't uphold the governor's vetoes. They didn't uh, they didn't want to stand strong because something in their district may have had to give, whether it was uh, these Delana Johnson with the Department of Ag and some of the other things that are out there. I mean, you know, I'm sorry if it is truly needs to happen for the long term fiscal stability. We're all going to feel a little pain. But that's that's the thing about, you know, curing wounds or or, you know, it's it's like it's like the debridement that has to happen when you when you get a wound that's got a bunch of dead stuff on it and everything else. And you got to patch it up. Well, you can't just throw a Band-Aid on it because it'll get infected and the necrotic and blood. So you got to go in there with a scrubby and some tweezers and a razor and you got to cut all the bad stuff out. Everybody's got to feel a little pain. If we're going to fix it in the long term, if we're serious about it, if we're not, then <clears throat> let's just talk about cooking and food and movies from now on. If we're really not going to fix it, if there's really not just the, you know, if this is all we're going to do is just talk about it and nothing's ever going to happen and, and you're not going to reach out to your legislators and say, as much as I support Project X or Department X or whatever, and I might even benefit from the things that Department X are doing or, or Project X is doing, I think that we need to cut back on things. And so I'm willing to give a little bit. I mean, because if the governor does surprise us all and stand up with his red pen on this budget, and I would be surprised if he does, quite honestly, based on past performances indicative of future results, if he does stand up on this, then I would be surprised. But if he does happen to stand up on it, then he needs support from legislators who have heard from their constituents who's, who's, uh, constituents who have said, we're willing to all take a little bit of pain to cut the size and scope of government. But as I said earlier, if you want a master class on why people are going to tell you they couldn't possibly cut the government, just go read that opinion piece in the ADN from Cliff Grow. Because he tells you, oh, we've cut the budget. We've cut state services by a billion dollars. We've done all this stuff. It's a, We couldn't possibly cut a single thing. Um, okay. I mean, largest state budget in history last year. But all we've done is cut. One of these two things is inconsistent with the truth. Maybe we should take a look at that and start to discuss. What do you say? All right. Chris Story's up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free thinking radio. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Okay. All right. All right. Let's see. Let's get Chris uh, screwed up. Fudged up? Yes, I said fudged up. He's giving me a hard time on my... He's texting me, giving me a hard time on the thing. Um. All right. Let's, uh, let's do this.
Hey, look at that. Works like a champ. It just seemed so hostile. So hostile and when I said worse. when I said fudged up. I mean, I could have said something else, but I decided that I couldn't take the FCC violation. So, uh, you know, mm. I didn't want to pay that yeah, fine. I just I just really really had to question your everything I know about you or thought I knew. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how are you, my friend? What's you, you consider hmm? you consider yourself this is totally off topic, but are you a people pleaser or are you the kind of guy that's like if somebody got really upset with you for actually saying that, which I'm not, but if they had would it bother you? How much of a people pleaser is Michael Dukes? People want to know. No, I would wouldn't have bothered me at all, uh quite honestly. So you're not you're you're not you don't live uh, I don't live to please people. I mean, I want people to be happy. Don't get me wrong, and people that mm -hmm. direct me. But if somebody sent me an email and say, "I'm so disappointed and mad at you that you use the term fudged up instead of you know," I mean, and I'm just be like, "Boy, I'm really sorry that that offended you, but it was better than the alternative." That probably would have been my response via email. Um, it was better it's than just, I would have wanted to say. Right. There's a lot of people. I was just re and the reason I asked is I was just reading an article yesterday about Anthony Bourdain. I don't know why, but it came across the, the news feed. I, I email subscriber list, whatever. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. I, I read a little bit about him, and, and he was incredibly oriented towards people pleasing, but also prone to deep, deep melancholy. I mean, right. that's a really dangerous combination right there. Oh, I, I imagine that is probably, and it, you know, probably led to uh, his ultimate demise uh, mm -hmm. in that regard. I mean, I want people to be happy, like I said, but in, you know, I'm also going to, in my mind, tell it like it is. And if I've offended you, I'm sorry that I've offended you, but I'm not going to retract what I've said unless it's blatantly wrong. I have said things that are blatantly wrong mm -hmm. and I've come back and retracted it or, or corrected it. But for the most part, um, you know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and if it offends you, move on down the dial, Susie. That's all I can say. Uh, you know, <laughs> right? That's 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 right. all you can do. Exactly. It's like Zig Ziglar used to teach other people that were wanting to become speakers. It's like don't don't speak to the one person who's not paying attention to you in the front row. That's not for them. Ignore them and speak to the people that are listening. It's like there are. It's not for everybody. You can't be for everybody. But when you combine that concept with being a, a perpetual people pleaser. It's like I say, it just leads to, I think, unhappiness and unrest. And yeah. A lot of negativity. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, if you get, if you're feeling unrest and negativity, all you got to do is go to Homer and it'll all be alleviated for the most part until you leave. And then I got ultimately depressed when I left. Um, <laughs> right. That's our sales. That's our greatest sales pitch. Exactly. Come to Homer, uh, be happy leave sad i mean that's kind of what it's all it's all about it's like the hotel california yeah Eventually you can never leave yeah exactly um and i didn't see you what happened to you huh i, uh -huh. I know man i worked mm. I, I gotta tell you seasons kicked off i worked friday and saturday and sunday and i'm not I'm not bragging it just happens to be the season but yeah i missed you how was your turnout at captains oh it was not bad a couple people showed up we were just chatting and talking nice. it was just nice you it's know, a great little, little bit out. of cup of coffee mm -hmm. and just hang out and do our thing captain's coffee was super nice about it so it was good uh what's our topic for today brother twin peaks of imagination well i like twin peaks the owls are not what they seem um I'm sorry, that's a Twin Peaks reference for the television show, Twin Peaks. You're not talking about the television show. It. No, you're not. Okay. No, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Oh, man. Good mm -mm. good 90s television. Uh, all right. The Twin Peaks of what? 
Imagination. The Twin Peaks of Imagination. All right. Hold the line. I'll be right back to you here. Coming into it. I've got a good halibut recipe, says Lisa and Gary. I have a good halibut. I've got a halibut recipe that's to die for. Oh, man. I made it all the time. It's actually good with any white fish. One of my favorites. Although Hockta says temper halibut with garlic aioli. Ooh. Yeah, that also would not suck at all. Definitely. All right, let's uh, let's get to it um, and uh, jump in. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Okay, we're into it now. This is our betterment segment. Yeah, that's where we we get a little bit of life coaching from the Tony Robbins of Alaska, the betterment expert, the man, the myth, the legend in his own mind. Chris Story joins us this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you? What a build-up. I'm fantastic, Michael. Thank you. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming in and talking with us today. It's a great filter. Truly, it's not a build-up. I understand what you're doing. It's a filter. You're just <laughs> filtering out people that this isn't for. Yeah, by, you by know what? reference to Tony Robbins. I know, I know. It is It is like that, you know, and I, I made this comment last week after you got off the show because we started off at the beginning of the segment with a, a big number of people, and by the time we got done with the segment, it was a smaller number of people. <laughs> and I said, look, I said, this is for me. I, I mean, I, I'm 100% honest with the listeners on this. I have you on this show, not for them, but for me, because I always, I always glean something out of what you're saying. And I think some people listen to the show because, I don't know, they want to hear the agitation or the anger or they want to hear about the problems what's going on but they never want to hear about the solutions for personal growth or personal betterment which is what you bring to the show every week and so you asked me early on during the break you said am i a people pleaser you do people i said fudged up earlier and you're like you think people are going to be mad about that and i basically you know, told you that I really don't care if people were upset about it because it was better than the alternative phrase that I was thinking of using. And so, you know, it's the same thing with you coming on the show. This is for me. If nobody else gets, if every listener in right now listening to the sound of my voice turned off their radio or shut down their computer or did whatever, I mean, that would be sad, but I wouldn't matter to me because I got out of it what I needed because you are going to give me something with your topic today, which is the Twin Peaks of imagination. Imagination. I mean, whatever that is, I'm sure I'm going to get something good out of it. So take it away, Mr. Story. Take it away. Well, just as a follow-up on that point, I think that there's there's sort of like two audiences. I think I think we go to the radio for one form of either entertainment or it's a way of... Um, it's just a different kind of partnership than when we go to a social media chat room. I think we go to for a very specific and precise reason. And, and oh, wait a minute, you're off topic. Okay, I'm going to move on and some squirrel and we're over here. There's two different audiences. So I, I think that your your radio audience is deep relative to these things that you and I talk about. Because I run into people around the state, you know, that listen to you uh, who either recognize my name and or say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you're on Michael Duke's show. So I, I know that from the radio perspective, 
Um, there's probably more tolerance for a different kind of conversation than those show up to chat and, and almost as a third rail hear themselves. Right. Well, right. to an extent, not right. everyone, but to an extent. But anyway, uh, relative to the topic today, thank you for having me, Mr. Dukes here. Uh, twin peaks of imagination. So Napoleon Hill in his master work, Think and Grow Rich, said there's two types of imagination, synthetic and creative. The synthetic type of, of imagination is really reinventing something. I was going to say reimagining, but that's been so uh, twisted <laughs> over the life. Ever since we decided to reimagine policing, I've yeah. decided that's an irrelevant <laughs> term. So to reinvent the mousetrap, to come up with a better mousetrap, is essentially what he referred to as synthetic imagination, rearranging or making a new concept out of something old. And then there's creative imagination and this he referred to as more divine more inspired more out of whole cloth brand new never even considered before um a type of imagination and so i think and i think this is a, a bit of a challenge for each of us is to recognize if you're not that divinely inspired like um today in today's part lots would probably be elon musk like wow what, what, a, what a genius and he's so, so inspired but truly if you look at everything he's done He's just reinvented how things are done from PayPal to electric vehicles to rockets to whatever he touches. It's more of a uh, combination of, yes, creating something new, but not completely out of whole cloth. It's just a reinvention. I think each of us have that opportunity to combine these two types of imagination into something more powerful for ourselves in the world. And it's a bit of a use it or lose it. If you don't use your imagination, you're, it's going to become dormant and sort of atrophy. So I'm just encouraging us all to recognize, even if we don't feel divinely inspired, you're not Da Vinci drawing a helicopter in, you know, 1642 or whatever, um, you know, just completely imagining something out of the blue. It's okay. You have this synthetic imagination and anatomy creative to an extent and you can combine the two and come up with some amazing things and it's just a great brain exercise if nothing else and it's fulfilling even no matter where you go with it i you know and i think you're right i mean uh it uh you know we have a tendency and and uh you know to it's like i like your atrophy comment because again it's like anything it's like your imagination like anything else like um willpower if you don't exercise it it gets weaker and weaker and weaker mm-hmm. and uh and then you know one day you found that you're just an auton- uh, you know automaton going back and forth to work and and doing the same thing and not really creating anything in your mind or doing anything else it's one of the reasons why i picked up a i picked up a hobby a couple 3 4 years ago where i was doing like some crafting, I was building some dioramas and painting figures and doing some things like that. It's something I hadn't done in probably 30 or 40 years, that kind of mm-hmm. hands-on stuff. But I found a deep satisfaction in it uh, simply because it was exercising that creative part of my brain um, that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't touched on uh, in a while. I, I get exactly. creative when I'm doing reading or narrating or voice work or stuff like that, but I was looking for something a little more, and that that's been great. Um, you've got to be able to tap into that creative aspect of yourself, I think, in the long run. to be. I mean, if you found one common thread between all people who are successful, depending on what your definition of success is, I think you'll find that creative thread in uh, in almost all of them. 
and you can wake it up. If, if you're hearing this and go, man, I haven't, boy, what have I done creatively? You can wake up that part of your brain. And for me, for example, I, I used to keep a notebook of board game ideas. And it literally says on the front of the notebook, board game ideas. And I, I love creating concepts. <laughs> so for, wait, wait, you were, board games. you were creative except for the title of the notebook. I mean, you know, exactly. Uh, instead yes, of saying something like, instead of something, something like board question mark, here's some games. I mean, it could have been something like that, but okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Could yeah, it could have been almost anything or just a giant question mark on the cover. But, um, I, I, I ran across it, um, I was doing some clean out of my office, moving a bookshelf or something, and I ran across it last fall in this little notebook. And, and one of the games in particular, I really, really like the concept, but I, I wanted to make it more relevant for what I'm doing today versus, say, what I was imagining this board game could be 10, actually, it's more like 15 years ago. And so I reinvented that game into something that's more on brand, if you will, for where I am today. And so I mm -hmm. called it Born to Live, but I took the same rules and applied it to this new concept about being an optimist and being born to live and living on purpose. I took the same rules and just reinvented the game. And I had a blast doing it. I had so much fun thinking about it this fall up until Christmas and organizing it, sketching out what the what the the parts and the pieces and the, the board itself would look like, created the box, the box cover, all of it, created six prototypes to give away as Christmas gifts. I may never do anything else with that game, and I don't care because it was it was so fulfilling and rewarding for me. And now I have these artifacts, all of that a piece of my imagination at my house, my parents' house, my daughter's homes, and um, a couple of other places. That it's like oh, it's, it's like the fingerprints of my imagination. Whether or not I take it to scale and uh, contact Parker Brothers or you know or whatever, it doesn't matter. The imaginative process was so rewarding for me for a couple of months and ordering, like I said, all these parts and pieces and assembling this game and bringing it to life into the world was really rewarding. So it's sharpening the saw of your imagination to set out to create or reinvent something irrespective of where it goes in, into the marketplace. Like I didn't invent books, obviously, but I have an incredible time using my creative and synthetic imagination to write my own books. And so it's irrelevant that I didn't admit, oh, I'm going to come up with a first uh, bound written tome. No, that's been done for thousands of years. I'm just reinventing it in the way I imagine it. And so it's incredibly rewarding. And I hope that this would just inspire just one person to go and do something with, with their imagination. If they thought it was dormant or too late for them, no, now is your time. I'm sorry. I was looking for my copy of Born to Live around my house here for a second. I was just looking for it. That was what I didn't didn't see it here um, on my table to play with my kids. Uh, anyway, uh, no, look, uh, <laughs> I agree. Um, so, again, as always, Chris, I always ask you to break this down at the end. You know, how do we you know, the, what you've said is very aspirational, but uh, how do we apply that? So if somebody is out there feeling like. You know, I used to be creative or I would like to be more creative or whatever. So what is your recommendation for them? How do they how do they how do they implement what you've just said? Uh, you know, how do we become more creative, more uh, imaginative in in our day to day lives? How do we how do we do that? What what's what's your suggestion? 
I think just first acknowledging that that you are a creative person. You know, I, I can't stand that that it's become a noun, like I'm a creative. But just embrace it. You are an imaginative, creative person. Acknowledge and recognize that and understand that there's both types of imagination, both types of uh, delivery into the world of something new can come from, like I say, a combination of reinventing something, rearranging something, or whole cloth, out of nowhere, creative. So if you take just the book example, uh, if you're going to write a book, it ought to be a bit reinventing what's already existing, because if, if you're not doing that, then uh, it's probably not going to get published. Even if you self-publish, it probably wouldn't work. But where the creativity comes in is in the story or the way you tell the story or whom you're even talking to. So I would say just recognize you are a creative, you are an imaginative person. If you are listening to this, um, then you have it within you to do something, even if it's for your own sake. And I'd say let go of the outcome. Like I said, my board game isn't designed to go to Parker Brothers and blow them away and scale and outperform Monopoly. Um, now, if that happened, it wouldn't hurt my feelings, and I would invite <laughs> you to the launch party, Michael. Um, but it's not what I'm doing it for. And I think sometimes maybe that can get lost in translation a little bit when you're hearing people talk about success is, oh, how is it going to scale? You're going to watch Shark Tank and see somebody pitch a board game. They better have a way to make it scale or you're wasting their time and you're not going to get their investment. That's not what this is about. This is about you and where you're at right now. Can you get creative where you are for your own sake and, and see where it goes? But I think it will impact and infect every part of your life if you tap into that imagination, I think suddenly you'll become better at work, better at relationships, better at money management, better at everything you're doing when you employ your imagination at work, even if it's in a small part, somewhere off onto the side. There's probably something you always wanted to do as a kid. Go for it. Now's right. the time. It's never been easier to create right now in, in human history. Now's well, the time. And some work is creative. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love what I do with radio sales and advertising is because I get to create things, you know, ideas, concepts, commercials, those kind of things. But even for folks who are just, you know, nine to five, punch at a clock doing accounting or HR or something or something that I would imagine would be, to me, immediately boring, you know, and, and, and life-sucking. There are other things, like I said. I mean, I I went out and and started doing something new a couple of years ago on my own. This crafting thing, it could be something like that. It could be woodworking. It could be metallurgy. It could be painting or drawing or just writing and journaling. I mean, creating stories for yourself, if if for no one else. You know, that's the thing. There's so much pressure. Oh, I'm going to be a writer. Well, some people just write for themselves. You know, they write short stories, yeah. and if they ever get published, great. If not, they got they got pen to paper, and they did it. I mean, you can find something. And like you said, maybe it's not for anybody. I remember the the second piece that I ever created, I created this really cool diorama, um, uh, and I had no idea what I was doing with it to begin with, but I had this idea, and so I started doing it, and I got done, and I thought this would be perfect for a friend of mine who loves this kind of theme. And so I ended up just giving it to them. I mean, I poured probably 20 hours into this thing and I just gave it to them because I'm done with that. I'm moving on to something else. They would appreciate it. it there's always something creative that you can do somewhere, sometime. You've just got to find it. And they sold that on eBay, but you know, you didn't care. Oh, I, they probably threw it away. They probably just, it's probably at the bottom of some <laughs> right. landfill somewhere. Yeah, right now. But, but the, yeah, I, I love it, though, that it's for yourself. The Twin Peaks of Imagination, it's really for you 
and if others get the benefit out of it, great. Can you imagine if, and maybe your grandfather did this, but what if your grandfather had written a book, not to publish, but just written something that you get to read now or your great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather. So what are you leaving behind? What are the fingerprints of your imagination that will be left, the artifacts that you are leaving for the next and the following and the third and fourth generations from now? What fingerprints will be behind to say that you were here and your imagination is a big part of it? The Twin Peaks of Imagination, Synthetic Imagination, Creative Imagination, Napoleon Hill was a genius. If you haven't read his books, you probably should. Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. Master Key to Riches. He's got a lot of different books out there. Um, Chris, uh, thank you, my friend. His book, by the way, Chris Story's book, uh, The Backyard Millionaire, is available right now at ilovehomeralaska.com. I'm currently working on his second uh, Jacob Mann series book. I just started uh, uh, this weekend a little bit, uh, setting down some lines to try and get a feel for it. Uh, it'll be available on Audible sometime in the near future, but it'll also be available in print. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. Chris, final thoughts before I let you go, quickly. Oh, Michael, I just appreciate you having me here and what you do for the state and your conversations with Brad and all the other about the legislature that each of us, and just a reminder every day, each of us have an opportunity to make an impact on our government, which is of the people, by the people, for the people, and that's you. And so I want to thank you for bringing that conversation to us every morning. Well, I appreciate it. Chris Story, the man from Homer, inspiring me in many ways, and I appreciated that. I mean, I got something out of it, so that's all that matters right now. That's right. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Folks, we're up against the break. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, in the break, Chris Story, final thoughts. Um, I mean, same thing happens, like I said. I, I wonder, Chris, and I talked about this last week, and maybe you can give me some insight since you've you've been doing radio for a while as well. You know, I, I, I ranted the other day. I woke up on a Monday. I was grumpy, uh, which is not in my normal state uh, in that day. I was, I was not a happy person. I came on the thing and I basically just said, okay, here's, I'm going to rant about stuff. And I did. And I, quite honestly, I got several comments, uh, emails, people who stopped me when I was in Homer, people who stopped me in Soldatna said, I really enjoyed your, you know, your whatever epic rant. And I wonder, does that do more harm than good sometimes? Because I, I, I don't necessarily want to be the the ranty guy, you know, on the radio. I want to come up with solutions. I want to be thought provoking on stuff like that. And that, you know, it it I, I guess it to me it's not as imaginative. Anybody can get up there and just rant about something all the time. I mean, what are what do you think as a as a radio host and a betterment guru? Well, I think you're 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 doing a couple of things. You're combining your passion for something with your humanity, your human being. It, it must be exhausting and frustrating to see over the years having to say the same thing repetitively and seemingly elect new people, new neighbors that go to our capital and then fall under the shadow of what my friend Don Catagno called, um, they just lose their minds. And so you see this repetitively and over and over again. You're just a human being. You've got ideas. You are a conduit for these ideas. And once in a while, of course, you're going to rant, rant and react in that way, which is in and of itself creative because of the way you're doing it. And also you do point towards more solutions 
than problems, in my opinion. I could be biased on that, but I feel like you're more of a solution guy who every now and then has to feel like you have to shake the tree a little bit, see if anybody's awake or listening. So no, I think it's, I think the whole process is interesting. I think the, the mistake you could make personally, not for your program, but for you, the mistake you could make is the outcome. If you tie your purpose and meaning to the outcome of your prescriptions for the solutions, then you're going to end up pulling your hair out and, and, uh, well, yeah, that's just really that's the danger. I mean, that's the danger, though, isn't it? Because I'm personally invested in trying to make these things mm-hmm. because that's become my purpose in a lot of ways. One of my chief major purposes just is to try and initiate change in the state. And when it doesn't happen, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right. That's the that's the proverb. And so I have a hope to make these changes. And if it just keeps you know, yes, I wake up some mornings and, you know, occasionally throughout the year and I'll just be like, I just want to kick a cat. You know, I just want to be like, I am, I'm so done with all this stuff because nothing is changing. You know what I mean? And so you're mm-hmm. right. I, it is, it's hard to separate that out. Uh, the, you know, what I'm talking about from, from who I am or what I'm doing, because it's frustrating sometimes when you just you could see it. You feel like you can see it. You can see the truth. You could see where things are going. And quite honestly, over the last 20 years, I have been prognosticating almost everything that has happened in the last 20 years. This is what's going to go on if we keep building it, if we keep spending. And 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 yet I feel like I'm pissing into the wind. You know what I mean? And all I, and I'm I don't know why I'm wet, but it just keeps happening all the time. Right. That's I just I feel that way. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think you know again, if you tie yourself to the outcome, that's the way you'll feel until you quit doing this. Um, whereas if you just start, maybe a different metric. You know, the metric is: did you influence one person to maybe run for office who otherwise wouldn't have, or to vote, or to reach out to their legislators and and speak their mind and realize they have a voice? So if that becomes your your mission and your outcome is just to to engage people and help them engage with their their government and understanding it. Richard Dreyfus has taken a huge cr- creative risk, but also professional risk by speaking so eloquently about civics. I don't know if you watched his firing line special the other night with um, Mar- Margaret Hoover, but he's really just putting himself out on a limb because he cares so passionately about education and civics and the lack of civility in civics and the lack of that being taught at a primary and secondary level, that he's willing to kind of risk his career and say some things that, um, you know, are pretty meaningful to a lot of us out there. But he better not put his hopes on making a stark change today. Right. He's at 75. He may not live long enough to actually see his dream come into fruition. It may take a number of years to turn the tanker around. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Uh, I came to a conclusion many years ago that all I can do is be the town crier and then turn back around when I turn the microphone off and make sure my own life is right uh, and just get ready because it, just act like nobody's listening. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of what you got to do. Um, What's that? Just, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris Story, thank, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board as always. It was a good discussion today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Bring it home, buddy. I'm up. Bring it home. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll just uh, keep chatting about that. Maybe I'll open the phone lines. Here we go. 
Okay. So uh, here we are, one final segment for the show today. I always feel very introspective when um, when I get done with Chris. You know, I, I had a thing where I was going to talk about this when I got done with Chris, and, and I end up thinking about it and like, no, I just I. I, you know, I want to be more introspective for a moment. Uh, I, again, I was surprised last week after I had my, <laughs> I, I was going to say my very good, no bad day. That's not what it was. Um, I had a great day uh, on Monday when I, when I, I came on and said, you know, that it was, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a mood, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about some things and I ended up ranting about some stuff because I was agitated, uh, because I was in a, uh, a bad mood, uh, about, about things, you know, about just being frustrated in many aspects, uh, specifically in, you know, coming on here and seeing what was going on. I had some time over the weekend to kind of contemplate, um, this was a week ago, Monday, just for those of you who were, it wasn't yesterday, it was a week ago, Monday, uh, just kind of contemplate, you know, what I've been doing and what we've been doing with the show and everything else. And I was a little frustrated because again, I have been doing this radio show in one form or another for 24 years now. And, uh, you know, that I was just feeling like, man, I'm just not. I'm not getting through to people. I mean, I, I almost basically predicted everything that was going to happen over the last 20 years as I've continued to say, if we don't stop this, this is what's going to happen. If we don't stop this. And it just it, it just kept happening. Things just kept going down the road the way that I say, uh, the way that I said they would. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, so I got a little frustrated and I ranted a little bit. But I don't, again, I don't, I don't like being that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's the angry radio all the time kind of thing, right? Uh, and what Chris was just telling me uh, and talking to me about triggered kind of just a little bit of thought of that. It was funny because I actually received more comments uh, via email and in the chat rooms and actually in person. I ran into several people this weekend when I was down in the peninsula. Um, listeners who who you know who came out to meet me at the coffee things, and but also I got stopped a couple times um, on the street, uh, while I was driving around getting gas, whatever. Um, and people said, boy, I really, you know, uh, you know, I really enjoyed your, your, your rant last Monday or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I, I just realized sometimes that this, and I think Brian may, may have hit on it when he basically said, um, that, uh, you know, that when you rant, it's something, when you rant, it means something because you're not, the perpetual ranter basically and maybe maybe that's it or anything else but i want to find more creativity in what we do i'm you know this show for me is therapeutic because i want to talk about a lot of these issues but i discovered that there is more to life than what we do here on the radio and several years for my own several years ago for my own sanity 
It's probably closer to 15 years ago for my own sanity. At one point, I basically had to make a decision that I am going to be the town crier. I'm going to talk about everything that we talk about. I'm going to point out the foibles and the flaws where I see them. I'm going to try and offer some kind of solution if I can. But when the microphone gets turned off, I'm going to go back and focus on my family, my things. I'm going to make sure that my life is right and that I'm prepared for any eventuality just in case my words mean nothing. Just just in case my words don't move the needle at all, I'll just I'll make sure that my family is taken care of, happy, ready, prepared, you know, whatever it takes for all those kind of things. And that's kind of become the last 15 years. That's kind of become my shelter from a lot of the madnesses out there, because I'll be honest with you, if I kept doing the show the way that I did it for the first 10 years. I probably would be screaming at the radio every day, screaming into this microphone every day. Maybe it'd be a very popular show because that seems to be a big thing for many of the big hosts is, is, uh, is maybe, maybe that would have been made me more popular. Definitely wouldn't have made me, definitely would not have made me happy because I just want to point out the problems, give you some solutions, have some conversations with you, and then go back and be with my family. That's, that's, that's kind of the thing. And this creativity thing that Chris was just talking about made me think about that, that I found some of the most joy in some, I mean, like I said, I gave away my first big project that I did for myself. I mean, I envisioned maybe putting it on a shelf somewhere or something, a big diorama that I built, but I ended up giving it to somebody else. And that was almost even better. Uh, Just giving some of that creativity away. So I'm hoping you got something out of what Chris said. I mean, I did. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, you guys got something out of that as well. But it led me to ask some questions um, about what I want to continue to do on the show. Now, obviously, during the legislative session and when things are hot and heavy, this is an important thing. We have, you know, we need to focus on those things and have guests on that talk about those things. But um, I had a really good response from the interviews that I did with uh, Mark Cameron. Uh, who is the Alaskan author that writes for the Clancy Estate and um, uh, the author, and I've forgotten his name right off the top of my head, of the Alaskan Blonde book, the Alaska uh, True Crime Mystery uh, book. Uh, had some good responses from listeners on that, and I think I want to do more. I want to talk to more people who are creative about that, who live here, who work here. Uh, I want to do some different segments on different things uh, working on right now. I never knew it would be this hard to get people to come on and talk about certain things. Um, getting on right now, hopefully, uh, Andrew Jensen, who is with the governor's office, to talk about the food sustainability report that they just put out. We'll talk about sustainable foods. Um, I got a call yesterday from the owner of Atlas uh, Survival Shelters. Uh, to talk about preparedness, and he said he'd be willing to come on and talk about it. I want to talk about, you know, maybe Alaska gardening, um, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, just a little bit of everything, just something good that's creative, something that we can do to discuss something outside of the realm of politics. Uh, and maybe that makes the viewership goes down. I don't know. Maybe that makes the listenership drop off. Maybe it's not as interesting to you because you guys are here for red meat politics and nothing else. But, um, you know, I I just love having different folks on. I love talking to people about different things and different ideas. And the politics stuff is important. Don't get me wrong. But 
sometimes you just got to bring uh, other folks on to do different things. So maybe I'll do a poll on the Facebook page. Maybe I'll do a poll on the Facebook page and lay out a couple different topics that are non-political. And if you want to vote on it, I'll put the poll out today. And if you want to vote on it, um, you can feel free to do so. Maybe uh, help me find a, a little bit of a better balance between politics and life and good stuff and everything else. So it's just it's been on my mind. It's been on my mind because, again, I've been saying a lot of the same things for 20 years. Some of you are listening. We're making some difference, but maybe it's not enough. And so maybe we need to just keep pumping the pump, but at the same time, feeding our soul on other things as well. So just a thought. All right. We will be back with more tomorrow. Mike Schauer will be our guest. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Alaskan chicken ranching. That could be a topic. That'd be interesting. We love, uh, my wife and I loved our chickens. When we lived in Fairbanks, we had chickens. It was an amazing thing. Um... Can you do a segment on baking? Harold probably having a problem with his sticky buns. Well, you know, proper wiping will fix that. I'm just of the buns. Uh, the never mind. I don't know. We'll find something to do 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 to do together. Red meat radio gets listeners though, says Hawk. Well, yeah, but I mean, how does it affect the host? I can't divorce myself from what I feel enough when I'm doing the show to just be like, I can red meat rant all day long and then go out and just be laissez-faire. I can't. It's because it's 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 a part of me, right? It's what I do. And interesting. Um, so I'll come up with some ideas. I'll just come up with some ideas. We need a food security segment on Firearms Friday. I'd say we just give food security and general safety and preparedness ideas. It could it could have its own day at this point. At least a couple days a month, maybe. Something like that. Anyway, I'm going to think about it. I'll come up with some kind of poll. We'll put it together. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Have a good day, my friends. Be kind, love one another, live well.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 